Cam has shared the stage with artists like Faith Hill, Smokey Robinson, and Harry Styles, and has written songs for superstars like Miley Cyrus and Sam Smith. But it was her own multi-platinum Grammy-nominated hit, Burning House, that really put this country powerhouse on the map. In this burning house. After taking a five-year break in between her second album, Untamed, and her latest release, The Other Side, Fans were reintroduced to the extraordinary songwriting and singing talent that Cam holds with songs like Diane. Diane, Which was a response to Dolly Parton's iconic Jolene. And the track Changes, which features a whistling Harry Styles. As a country artist, Cam has been candid about the ups and downs of the music industry and shares a glimpse of that perspective in Girl Like Me. Yeah, take it from a girl like me. Take it from a girl. Despite the falls, Cam has stood back up stronger than ever. And with someone like Dolly Parton supporting her on live TV before her Good Morning America performance, it's safe to say that Cam is here to stay. My name is Tamara Dia. This is the Spout Podcast, where famous people spout off about more than what they're famous for. And today, that's Cam. Cam, how are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Yay. I love that you told me you're in Nashville because I'm actually from Nashville. So I feel like there's like a little connection there. I'm like, yes, my, my southern, yeah. southern roots coming through. <laughs> we were just saying how like it feels like no one's from Nashville. Everyone moves here. So, I mean, What's the your special? Yeah, well, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> What's the vibe in Nashville like these days? It's definitely uh, the fall leaves are starting to happen, which is like more of a seasons than we get, you know, back home. And yeah, I think people are trying their best in a weird, weird time. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Oh my goodness, I'm coming at you from California, so we we technically switched coasts here. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, um, good. <laughs> all right. Well, you did have a five-year gap in between the release of your first album, which housed your multi-platinum Grammy-nominated ballad, Burning House, and your second album, The Other Side, which you dropped in 2020 when the world was largely shut down. Um, there mm-hmm. are a few songs in particular I'd love to talk about. First is Diane, yeah. which is a nod, of course, to Dolly Parton's Jolene. So tell us about Diane and if you had any nerves about making a response to such an iconic song. I ended up kind of drawing inspiration from her right after it came from like a real space. So I had a friend whose family went through this. There was the infidelity and there wasn't the truth telling. It was a really difficult situation. And I wanted to like take on sort of like role playing, I guess, is what as a songwriter you get to do. You get to make up a story where the ending is a little bit different or it works out a little bit differently. So I get to take on the role of the bad guy or like the other woman. And instead of, you know, what happened in real life, I show up and I say, I think you need to know the truth. You know, like I didn't realize this was going on and I want you to know the truth. And sort of like the apology and the honesty that I, I wish she had had in real life. And as I was kind of putting this together with Tyler Johnson and Jeff Basker I think it just sort of struck this chord that reminded me so much of Jolene because what Dolly does in that song that's so special is she has this tone that's please, like, please don't take him. And it's this a very human, you know, it's not angry. It's not um, bitter. It's like a very like 
human being to human being, can I ask this of you? And it, it's something really sweet about that. So I, I like, I wanted to fall in her footsteps with that tone and definitely was nervous about, you know, that being something that everybody would know about. And I remember when I performed it on like a morning, you know, good morning America or like a morning TV show, they had Dolly pop on and it was like, First off, when you're live, yeah. <laughs> to have Dolly Parton pop on TV in front of you is kind of terrifying. And she just was like, I love this, you know, and it just was a, it was nice to see her. She's, she's really good at being supportive, I think, of um, younger artists. So. I actually wanted to ask yeah, you about fun. that because I saw that clip and I was like wondering, so I, I worked in live television for a long time and I can, I, I know, you know, what kind of goes through people's minds when they feel like they're put on the spot. So yeah. I can't imagine yeah. what was going through your mind when you saw Dolly Parton pop up. I mean, A, did you know that she had already heard the song at that point? And B, what it was that like knowing that you're about to perform it live on television and Dolly's watching? Right. <laughs> They say if you want her to hear something, you got to like send a CD. I had sent like a CD and a note and like kind of like a little care package type thing. So I'd hope she had heard it. And this was definitely like full-blown confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's nerve wracking enough. Like, you know, like just to be on TV and know that live you're hoping that everything goes well. But no, it definitely was um, an added pressure having her watch. But she kind of gave such a nice compliment before we started. I was like, okay, like, you know. It should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it went yeah, good. <laughs> it went great. I mean, I just can't imagine like if you're like, they put you on the spot, they're like, here's Dolly. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm about to perform this song. It's live. Ah! I know. <laughs> I was like, whose idea was this? Like, usually there's like a little bit of a heads up where someone's like, okay, they're going to surprise you with this plaque, yeah. you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, wink, wink. This, I was like, <gasps> well, I mean, what an amazing surprise. I mean, and also that's probably like such great validation for you too, as an artist to have someone like Dolly Parton, you know, say some, such nice things about the song that you created in response to her song. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is not, a, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a bad look. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a fun thing. It's a fun thing to see. And she, I got to do, um, Grammy Music Cares honored her as like person of the year. Margot Price and Jennifer Nettles and I got to sing one of the trio songs that she did with Emmylou and Linda. And it just, as a businesswoman too, Dolly Parton is just, she has, she's stuck around for a reason. She knows what she's doing. You know, she's working hard. So it's, it's always fun to see her just like, she's very, very clever, you yeah. know, like in, and obviously in the way she can write her lyrics and the way she can, um, she's just an icon, yeah. like a living icon. 100%. So it's impressive. Legend. Mm -hmm. um, well, in regards to the five-year break in between your albums, you did allude in a past interview and I'm going to quote you here at some point you have to have had your dreams and trust get broken, which unfortunately a lot of people can relate to. Right. Um, your know. track Girl Like Me off your recent album um, seems to kind of echo that sentiment. Um, is Girl Like Me in response to that? Yeah, I guess you could say like I went through, it sounds so naive to say that you realize that like not everybody's on your team and there are people that are like, some people are like out to get you, but some people are just, they're out for themselves and that that's why the chips fall, how they're going to fall. But, um, yeah, just went through some stuff that was like, you're just surprised. You're like, what? Like this still happens. And like, this happens in the music business and this happens in the world. Like people can just do these things and they still have jobs and like, whoa. Okay. So I, I think I just hit a point where I literally told my manager, I, I can do other jobs you know, like, I don't have to do, I don't have to do this. 
I love music, but I don't have to do it like this. You know, like I'm not trapped. So I'm going to figure out how I can make this something that I want it to be. Otherwise, I'm just going to go do something else. So it was a pretty big low to say I don't want to professionally yeah. do music if it's in this kind of situation. And that's, I mean, that's a really, that's a lucky space to be able to walk away too, you know? And um, luckily there was like a way to sort of figure out um, a shift, you know, in record labels and that whole business side of it, but you got to have the right people around you um, or at least decent people around you. And luckily I figured a way to get out of that. And Girl Like Me happened kind of after all of that, still writing music. And Natalie Hemby came um, actually right here on this piano. And she was sitting there and she goes, she write or starts playing the song she had started writing. And it was like, I was just like, this is just so sad. Like, <laughs> oh my God, what a sad thing I'm hearing. And she goes, yeah, it's your story. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wasn't ready for you to talk about me like that. And we get to the chorus. She's like, what do you think this should be? She kind of had this melody. And I was like, they're going to give up on you and you're going to give up on them. Like, and it's to me, the whole story arc of like people's careers, like you just hear about people's work and they're going to make it, you know? And like, that's kind of the thing that you hear. I hadn't really heard the part where you got to really hit like rock bottom in terms of like somebody's, your dreams and your image of the world has to get shattered mm -hmm. at some point for you to really see things for how they truly are. And it's heartbreaking, but it's also completely necessary because like the blueprints that somebody gave you when you were growing up, like whether it's from your parents or movies or school, um, those are just blueprints. Like they're not real. So you need to leave room for like this chaos that's happening. And then once you, you see it for what it is and how the world's not fair and things, people aren't good, you know, you're not good and all those types of things. Then at the end of it, you have to decide, okay, what are you going to do? Are you just going to like lay here heartbroken <laughs> or are you going to try and make your way through the mess and enjoy the pieces that you can? And that's a girl like me is like this, me deciding that I can, I can try figuring it out, you know? Nice. I love that. I mean, I feel like at some point, unless you just don't take any risks whatsoever, that you, you do go through an experience like that. And it's really inspiring when people can create something so amazing out of a situation like that. And they don't let it get them down and they just kind of move forward, but with the new, maybe new armor on, on top of them at this point. <laughs> There's a specialist for just about everything, right? Like when my car breaks down, I go to a mechanic. When there's a problem with my shower, I call a plumber. So when you want to get your uneven, crooked teeth fixed, you see an orthodontist. They're the specialists. And that's what sets Candid, the invisible, comfortable, and removable aligners above the rest. While poorly reviewed or insanely priced clear aligner companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You can book an appointment at a Candid studio near you or do everything from the comfort and convenience of your own home. The average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start to see results way before then and... It costs thousands less than traditional braces. And with your aligner treatment, you get Candid's teeth whitening for free. 
Candid can help you get the straighter, brighter smile you've always wanted. And right now you can get started from home for just $15 with the Candid Starter Kit. Or you can book an appointment at a Candid Studio near you today. So go to candidco.com spout and use the code spout. That's candidco.com spout, code spout. Take advantage of this limited time offer for $15 starter kit. Again, candidco.com spout, code spout. And you've collaborated with some really big powerhouses like Sam Smith. What was that experience like? Uh, amazing. I actually uh, had been working on my album. And it's so fun. Like a lot of people come through Nashville. Like people are, you know, you wouldn't expect people that they're not in country music, but everybody sort of has this like respect, I think, for the songwriting craft here. So they were in town working with Tyler uh, Johnson and listen to forgetting you off my album they said let's write with cam so i jumped in there and played some guitar and we did a song called palace for sam and got to go on tour with sam and um it's fun you kind of like make these relationships with other artists that you i think you share like a there's a little kindred spirit there and so when i got to hear another song that sam and tyler did called happier for you that i love I was like, can I please have this and put it on my album? And so I got to do it. Yeah. So it's a fun little give and take back and forth um, with that camp. I really appreciate them. Nice. And when you're working so closely with an artist, you know, that's that visible in the sphere of music. Did you learn anything from that experience? That Sam sounds insane, even in the room sitting on the couch. (laughs) And I think everybody kind of does it their own way. But I think the people that I like the most are just, they're just feeling their way through it. Like the only right answer is if your gut says it's right and then you just go from there, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also a huge Harry Styles fan. I mean, aren't we all really? (laughs) But (laughs) it wasn't until your song changes that I found out he's actually an incredible whistler. Why did Yeah, yeah, I was like, what? This is, I mean, he's obviously Mm -hmm. so talented, but you know, now seeing that he is also can add whistling to his repertoire, which was showcased on your song changes. um, Why did you choose to have him whistle on the song and not utilize his vocals? Well, he wrote the song. So it's it was he and Tyler and Lori McKenna and I'm pretty sure Tom, Kid Harpoon, is on that one. Um, it was another song. Like those, these are the two songs we're talking about that I didn't write on the album and I normally write everything. And I, again, like had a sort of like this fun kindred spirit relationship with like just getting to show like Harry loved forgetting you as well and got to open for him at the Ryman and Tyler working with him and sort of having just kind of like a shared little community. Like I love Mitch who works with him all the time too. And so anyways, I got to hear that song changes and I was like, Oh my gosh, please let me have this. I love this. And yeah, recorded it. And luckily, you know, it's really sweet of another artist. It means a lot when someone believes that you can, do the vision, you know, the same way they wanted to do the vision and live up to their standards. So it was really fun to have that on there. And I think it just was like, obviously, we weren't gonna leave his vocals on there because it was for my album. But I was like, can we just keep that whistle? (laughs) So good. So good. (laughs) And it's like, there's I have a few friends that can whistle and it's hard. It's like a full on musical talent to be able to whistle with a little vibrato and stuff too. So Um, well, you know, his fan base is very enamored with every single thing that he does. So what was it like working with him directly? 
I mean, he just seems like a really good egg. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't know him 100% well. I, the little bits that I know, he just seems like he was raised right. He seems like a really great guy. The things that he says to his audience, like I remember getting to play the Ryman, you know, open before him. And so when you're walking into someone else's audience, you're always like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if they're here for exactly what I'm doing because it's whatever overlaps with what he does. And they all just listened so intently to the words and were just so supportive. And like, I mean, they were just so into the music. It was like such a welcoming feeling. And you can see it then when he comes out the way the like rapport he has with his fans, it gets a very two way street. Like he, he really respects them and they really respect him like that in that, in the rhyme. And it just felt really, I don't know. It's really sweet. Like not a lot of people develop those kinds of relationships with the community that they're in, you know, sharing music like that. So, uh, I appreciate him and what he does. Nice. Um, well, let's say get back to quarantine a little bit. Cause I heard you were taking astrology classes during quarantine. Yeah. yeah. So you have to tell me what you learned. Cause I low key love astrology too, but I know nothing about it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, like I, I mean, I was at home. I had an infant. It was like, what am I going to do with some free time? Cause I can't go on the road or anything. And I've always loved astrology too. And I think, the more you learn, because it's been, it's not just like a cute thing in a magazine. It's been around for a really long time, you know, and looking into the, they have a lot of computer programs that can do all the math for you. So you don't have to do the math, <laughs> but you can just look at what was in the night sky when you were born and what sort of influences different planets have on you and how you act. And I think it's all a fun starting point for understanding yourself, which is, that's why I do songwriting. That's why I loved psychology is just trying to figure out myself and the people around me and like why we do things the way we do them. And um, yeah, I like it. I think it's a really fun every now and then too, you meet someone you're like, Gemini, you know, (laughs) (laughs) starts getting like really like, yeah, that is definitely what you are. So it's fun. And there's a lot, there's not just like the main sun sign, you know, there's like your moon and your rising and where everything else is all plays like this big factor into it. And then like the more I did it, the more I, it was really spot on. So I'm, I'm a believer. Nice. Okay. Well, I'm like, I'm definitely one of those people that looks up, you know, my horoscopes and things, and sometimes they're dead on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so real. I love it. Right. Um, I know. Go. It's. I took it with Deborah Silverman. Deborah Silverman. So go look her up on like Instagram. She does little videos and stuff, and they're all like really good. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna look her up for sure. Um, I love that you brought up psychology because that was actually my next question. So that was a nice little uh, little piggyback there. Segue. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I'm completely fascinated that you studied psychology before you went into music full-time um specifically attachment theory which i feel like has kind of been a hot topic of conversation especially with that book attached yeah it kind of has come back huh yeah i mean you were ahead of the curve clearly (laughs) um but you know that book attached that came out which um you know helps highlight each person's attachment style within a relationship so um do you know, did you read that book? Do you agree with those attachment styles from your, your studies? I guess I'm kind of, so I don't really know. Is the newest one, is that like a reprint? I don't fully know if that's the same deal, but I, I was working at the psychology department that I studied in for my undergrad. And so I was doing work for my, like my honors thesis there. And like the guy I was working under, who was the best Phil Shaver, he um was really into attachment theory. And so we took those attachment styles. So there's three attachment styles, right? You can be insecure, avoidant, insecure, anxious, or you can be secure. And all that kind of has to do in this theory with 
the relationship you had, what your needs were, and if you thought they were being met by your parents, you know, and uh, then it plays out in your life. You know, if you think how you react to people when they're doing things, if you think they're meeting your needs or not. So the way they were kind of playing that out in the experiments that I was helping out was with eye tracking. And this is where it gets a little bit sciencey, but like there's an infrared uh, that bounce light bounces into your eye and there's two, it bounces off the back of your eye and the front of your eye. And by those two data points, they can tell where you're looking on the screen. And so then they would have words show up abandoned. <laughs> and like, if you were maybe somebody that was anxious, uh, you might get stuck on that word a little bit longer than just a normal word like toast, mm. you know? And like, you'd spend longer like looking at it. Cause obviously it's, hitting like a deeper processing or like you can't let go of it. And then the avoidant people, you would maybe look at it really fast and then look away, you know, like just kind of see your processing time. Do you want to process that? Do you shallow process it and get the heck out of there or whatever? And um, yeah, it was, it was really fun. I think those kinds of theories that sort of give you like a hint about your like habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You start to see it play out in other spaces. I mean, it can't hurt just to have words for those things and like, tools even if it's not always correct like in different situations you might play it out differently but um i i always loved it i always thought that was a really helpful way to look at the world because i mean that's your whole life is just made up of all different kinds of relationships so a hundred percent that's so fascinating you know like the way you would study that do you miss that at all <laughs> no i was working in like a basement yeah. and like you know <laughs> eye tracking isn't very sexy or anything but <laughs> playing music is definitely cooler but um and I think research has the same things that every industry has. Like whoever has the money mm -hmm. is going to fund something that they think, you know, it influences what gets out just like music, right? Like the people with the money help lift up the things that they think should be lifted up. So it ends up having like a little bit of a filter on what gets through and it takes so long to, you can find out, you know, a, something in your data and hopefully you did it correctly and you cleaned it correctly and you wrote it up correctly. And then it still takes like, you know, a year, two years to get into like a journal. And then from that journal, that's only to other academics. And then it gets out into like the real world. So you're like, that's a long, I guess music's like that too. You can, I mean, I took a long time making my album, you know, and then it <laughs> finally gets out to people. So I guess what I'm saying is it's just, it actually is probably exactly the same like music, <laughs> <laughs> just a different sphere. Um, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, if you studied attachment, did you also study detachment? No, attachment theory. And then, I mean, after that, I went to, um, I guess in a way I went to uh, Berkeley and I did work at a lab with, um, they had 20 years of marital conversations and they would have a married couple over 20 years come in and they do a positive, negative and neutral conversation. And you'd see how they did like conflict resolution or kind of like maybe detachment in terms of like mm -hmm. letting go. And like by the end of the 20 years, either you'd like figured things out, you know, or it was like a real, it was dark the things you'd <laughs> see people say in a room. They knew they were being filmed. They'd say some dark stuff. Um, and then after that, I went to Stanford and was working in the spot where they did the prison experiment. I don't know if you ever saw the documentary about that, which was freaking wild and completely unethical by today's standards. Yikes. And then also um, worked on cultural uh, psychology stuff like affect valuation theory, which is like depending on sort of like cultural influences, you everybody wants to feel happy or positive. 
But do you want to feel like high arousal positive, which is a lot of like Western cultures, like I want to be excited, Mm -hmm. have the best time today, you know, (laughs) and then there's like uh, our professor was East Asian. She like would talk about how like a lot of East Asian cultures had like a peaceful, they wanted to feel like a positive, but like a calm, low arousal Mm -hmm. and you know what that meant for what kind of products you'd choose, how, what kind of activities you like doing. What th- I thought was so interesting is the difference, the thing that made your well-being or your like dissatisfied feeling really was the difference between what you expected to feel and what you were actually feeling, like how big that different difference was. It didn't matter what you wanted, but if the fact that what you wanted was so different from what you were actually feeling, hmm. that was the predictor of you feeling, you know, sad, <laughs> hopeless, <so fascinating. laughs> all those kinds of things. Yeah. Do you think that I know it's super fun? Yeah, no, I mean, it is. It's so fascinating. I, I nerd out on things like this. Um, do you think that your studies in psychology has helped you with your songwriting or even just navigating the music industry altogether? There's definitely a lot of people that have some childhood trauma that are still working through. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think whatever your experiences are like, I mean, just like me, spending time waitressing and me spending time traveling like all of it sort of causes me to have a worldview and like an understanding of what's going on same with psychology like it's all just like pieces that helps me when i'm trying to put a song together it's like oh that feels real or that doesn't or that helps me you know it helps like little building blocks of how to make a scene come across or an emotion come across so i think it it definitely informs i definitely don't sit there though and i'm like but does this yeah. pan out with, you know, <laughs> psychoanalyze <everybody>. being insecure? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, but, it, you know, I do have to say like songwriters, when you get in a room, musicians, songwriters, it, there's a you have to drop a certain pretense and get pretty deep, which is I think people that love psychology are kind of like what songwriters love doing, too, where like you have to go to spots that you sometimes don't even talk about with close friends, you know, like in experiences. So that psychology part, I think, helps you be ready to absorb some of those darker stories that everyone's going to get into. Fascinating. So like super intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know the last five years we got an album out of you. You had a baby. We had a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. um, what do the next five years look like for you? I am really excited. We're planning the tour, the upcoming tour, which we haven't announced yet, but it's like in the planning stages and I'm just so I think this last year or year and a half everyone's been like okay I want to be purposeful about what I'm doing like I want it to be not just going through the motions anymore like what am I which I you know obviously was purposeful before but I feel like it's a deeper level of like okay how do I want to do this show so it's like very specific to me and is the best show that I can put on and so we're going to try some new stuff which I'm really excited um yeah. And then there's just, I've been working on the next album and writing songs for other people. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to come happen in 22 that I'm excited about. Nice. Well, we can't wait to see. Um, thank you so much, Cam. It was really nice to talk to you twice now. Yeah. So nice <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it again. That's why. I love it. Yeah. When I come to Nashville, I can't wait. <laughs> um, all right. Well, have a great day. Um, and I'm excited to see um, you on tour, hopefully. Yay. Sounds good. Okay. Bye, Cam. To see more of our conversation with Cam, follow Spout underscore podcast on IG or Twitter, or hit us up at spoutpodcast.com. Next week, Andy Grammer spouts off. Be sure to listen to the Spout Podcast at our new time every Sunday night at 9. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Spout Podcast is presented by Alpha Media, produced by Gorilla Sound, and created by Phil Becker. Spout.